nigga live right now, man. It's going down, excited for the season. You know, we coming off a playoff win. I mean, you know, we had a couple wins. Winning game four, at least pride-wise, made me feel good because you don't ever want to get swept. I'm indifferent to him, whether or not he signs it. I'll be uh, hitting Milwaukee for the next five years. If you ask me, can the Bucks win game five? I put it at 40% confidence, yes. To think that, that a season is championship or bust is is um, certainly not the way we've approached it. At this point, we don't know what's going to happen. You can get game six. You can steal it. Championship or bust. Winning game six and seven. Championship or bust. I don't think they're going to win the whole series, but... There is no enjoyment with this team. Hello and welcome to the Brew Hoop Podcast. I'm Adam Paris, co-managing editor of BrewHoop.com. Joined as per usual by Riley Feldman, we are recording in the aftermath of the Bucks' 120-103 Game 4 victory over the Heat. A sweep. Normally I ask you, how are you doing, Riley, once again in your personal life? But I think right now, I maybe your, your sports uh, enthusiasm has overtaken whatever thing is going on in your personal life right now. I lived for chess basketball for the final two hours, and I still haven't come off that high, so you're correct there. I think uh, we have a lot of things. I have a lot of things to say about the Miami Heat, but first note is I'm just happy for the Bucks. I'm happy for Bucks fans, you know, having to go through the bubble last year. I mean, dashed expectations is a mild way of putting it. Then having to deal with the whole year about having everybody in the league. And I think this is a victory for the league, too. We had to hear about how special Miami is, how special Jimmy is, how like, oh, you know, they kind of look like they're awful in the regular season. But just wait, they get to the playoffs. And this game, sports in general, yeah, it's about having fun. It's about competing. It's about a lot of different things. But at the end of the day, when you get to the professional level, it's about making your opponents look like fools. And what did the Bucks do for four games? They made them look like idiots. And I'm just happy for them that they did that. Um it was a little touch and go in the first half today, but it, to see them then claw back in the second half and just chip away. And once they got the lead, it was game over at that point. It's a beautiful thing to see. So I'm happy for us, happy for the team. What what a great way to end the series, to start your Saturday, go into the weekend. It would have been the most annoying. We talked about this before the podcast. It would have been so annoying to come out here after this game and be like, well, you know. Game four, they didn't look all that good. Maybe, maybe game five will get them. I'm just glad it's over with. Uh, really fun from top to bottom from the Bucks. In a series that went not at all how I presumed it would. I, I went in guessing Bucks in seven. I thought it would be a pretty close series. I think it's going to get lost a little bit in the aftermath of this, how high a lot of people were on the heat. I think, you know, exposing them as frauds is something we will hear quite a bit, but I, mm-hmm. I, I'm not sure if they necessarily were frauds, but at the, at the same time, there are a few things more satisfying than taking down this particular team, which seemed to ride, which I don't blame them. If I made the NBA finals, mm-hmm. I would ride on the coattails of that for the following season, every single chance I get, even when my team kind of sucks the whole year and is hurt by COVID and has all these kinds of issues. But we, we did have to hear about how, Okay, they were missing Butler when Butler's back. I like Bam Adebayo. I think he's very good. But we have to hear so much from – and I don't blame media members. He's, he seems like a super fiery guy. Seems like a great guy to write stories about. Is a really interesting offensive player. But is a really interesting offensive-defensive player, excuse me. Okay, there but we go. we had to hear about him, I felt like, all – season about how what he did in the bubble was going to become reality. And today was the only 
day of this whole series where he was able to make an offensive impact in any semblance. And it's crazy to me that he basically missed open like 10 footers, eight footers the entire time. I know Giannis sometimes misses those too, but like the fact (laughs) that this guy could not hit any of these shots, which were being just gifted to him was just very, very sweet as a Bucks fan who watched him destroy the Bucks last year, utterly obliterate them. So did Jimmy. And to, to have a complete reversal of what happened last year happen this year, it has to be supremely satisfying for every single Bucks fan. And I think we'll talk about this game a little bit more at game four, but what was the thing that switched game two heading forward was the Bucks keying in on the Jimmy Butler, Bam Adebayo pick and roll. And even in game one, we saw the Bam Adebayo pick and roll where he would get it, um, you know, Duncan Robinson would come off the pick or whatever, and then uh, Bam would just give the ball right back, open look. The Bucks shut that down immediately. And the number of possessions, it was comical. The number of possessions where Bam is at the elbow, Brook is like six feet away. He's like, hey, man, if you want to take a shot, go for it. And Bam just like, he, the number, he's just pivoting, looking like who's going to t- come take the ball because the Bucks are suffocating everybody off ball. And I didn't know. This is the issue for a lot of these, for me as an NBA fan is, I don't have enough time or the wherewithal to watch a lot of other games. So I hear all season long generalized like, oh, Bam, he's a special defensive talent. He can do a little bit of something on offense, all these sorts of things. And then we come into a series like this, and he looks lost. He looks like he had no idea what to do. And he, he I'm not going to say he looks scared, but there was just no decisiveness to, okay, I'm going to keep getting these open looks. I mean, masterful. Zone drop to say, okay, you know, go under on the screens. Jimmy Butler, if he's going to be the one that kills you from free, okay. But go under every screen, and then Bam's just standing around. And they wasted so many possessions like that. And they still got open looks, but I think there was a lot where I was not impressed by any, I'm not even sure I could detect many changes besides like shuffling the starting lineup that Miami did. I think that's a testament to how shorthanded and the limitations of their players once the Bucks keyed in on that. And then also, um, I think credit to Budenholzer as well to say in the first game to switch up and say, we're fighting through every screen. Chris, you work your ass off to stay on whoever it is, Duncan Robinson, Kendrick, whoever you're guarding, Tyler Harrow keep contact on the pick, and then they're just going to stand around up there because they don't have anybody else that can drive besides uh, Butler. And if Butler's just going to like kind of waltz in and try and pass and make things happen, it's not going to work for him. And that, that just thought masterclass from the first half of game one on from there to identify that's the fold they're going to try and get, shut it down. They couldn't get anything else going. What did, what did Duncan Robinson have in game one? Like 22 points or something? Yep, yep. His series total was 41 points. I, we talked after we talked after game one, we were like, what was really the the difference that, what was the change that the Bucks made to try and limit Duncan Robinson going forward? And a lot of it was, we came down to just saying, well, Chris Middleton seemed to give a lot more effort. And that dude was giving a lot of effort. His length really seemed to trouble Duncan Robinson. He fought like hell around all of those picks. And like you said, kept contact with them, wasn't allowing them to get off any sort of semblance of a a clean jump shot. Just a really, really good series by him. Let's talk specifically about game four a little bit, and then we'll do the series as a whole, because today was just kind of a a cap around the end. Probably the most interesting game we've had since game one in terms of of, of drama. So the Bucks come out and start one of 10 from three, really struggle from beyond the arc, which isn't, isn't something new that we've seen to start this series. They're down 64 to 57 at halftime. Bucks clean it up just a little bit in the second quarter. But then in the in the third period, Chris Middleton really gets going, gets gets a couple threes to fall, is able to get to the free throw line. And then from there in the fourth period, 
while the Heat make a little bit of a run towards the end of the third quarter with some some Kendrick Nunn heat check threes and and hitting some mid rangers for him finally, in the fourth quarter, the Heat seemed to just fold. I, I mean, the Bucks offense was completely flowing inside with with passes and cuts and pick and rolls. It wasn't so much the threes falling in the fourth quarter as much as the three pointers that they had started to hit. Just the, the threat of them opened up all of these kinds of passing lanes and cuts and, and, and the offense was just functioning at, at a level that we don't use. I, I do feel like the offense was functioning at a level that we certainly didn't see in any of the past postseasons beyond, you know, some of those, those times against Boston, but against a defense like this, I mean, the offense was really flowing in the fourth and just completely forced the heat to just lay down for the last couple minutes of the game. And they end up winning one twenty to one Oh three. Yeah, I thought, so the end of the second quarter going into halftime, it was looking like a little, so it was, it, we did not look good in the first half. And Giannis was a prime culprit with that. He was just, I think he was like 0 for 6. He might have just had free throws going into the half. It, yep. He might have made like a basket. Um, and Brooke and him and PJ, our three big guys besides Bobby, were all in foul trouble. And so it was like everything that Miami wanted, it, part of it was Jan was, was going over picks for, for whatever reason on Butler. Um, he was not getting, there was just like a lot of, okay, Miami is attacking our big guys and they're getting a friendly whistle. In the third quarter, Chris flipped that totally. He was like, I'm just going to go right at whoever you're trying to guard me with. And he, the m- number of times that he either drew a foul or drew the defense into collapse um, and then on top of that, like you said, with the three-point shooting, Bryn Forbes, take a bow, man. What a series for you. That's I think he's the first guy I can remember in a long time, like playoff guy. I don't remember the last series. is like, oh, this random guy is going to show up. He showed up for us in a huge way. So shout out to him. He starts making threes. And those couple of baskets, even in the first half, you could see it. Giannis and Brooke were getting inside no problem because Bam Adebayo is the only guy with size and he can't defend two guys at once. It was just because the threes weren't falling from Milwaukee or like we had Pat Connaughton out there, there as the starter, they could, the feet could focus a little bit more on throwing a little more pressure at those guys inside. So even if they got really good position inside, there was enough in the way of like uh, defense to throw off even a pretty close shot to the basket. And just those weren't falling. So it's like, okay, uh, if the threes aren't going to fall and if our big guys who are still getting good possession position, aren't going to be able to get like the gimmies to go with a little bit of pressure, we're going to have a tough time. They start making threes in the second half. Chris really starts attacking. He, drew, I think he drew, I don't know if it was like three or four fouls to start like the first half of the third quarter. Really great. Sets the tone and we that chips in. That slows the game down. Miami's trying to keep things pretty quick throughout the game. Um, there was just a whole bunch of different cascading effects of Chris starts attacking, three start going, and then those positions that Brooke and Giannis kept, they kept getting it, but the defense was lightened up because of those three. So it's just... Like I said, they folded. It was a bit of an avalanche in the second half. It was a disaster of a third quarter for Miami. I'm not sure when the last time a team in pole position going into that second half, and they just, it was a disaster. They couldn't make a basket. It was just awful for them. I mean, the best, literally the probably the best lineup that they had in the second half tonight was the one without Bam and Jimmy in it. In the end of the third quarter, when when Nunn was just kind of going off, Dragic was scoring, you know, Harrow was hitting a few shots. That that was truly, when that's your best lineup and you have Deadman, Higudala, Dragic, Nunn, and Hero, you know you're in trouble when you're relying on a bench lineup to come back. And the, the you know, the interesting thing was, so that Miami goes zone a lot in the second period. Bucks. Bucks do okay with it, but you can clearly see the limitations of when you're not shooting that well from three, how you 
really, really struggle with the zone. And obviously Giannis and Giannis, like you said, Giannis and Brooke were getting pretty good positions inside, even against the zone, able to find some driving lanes or if Chris was getting the ball. But there's just a lot of opportunities when you're in that zone for Miami to deflect the ball on an entry pass or when you're Giannis and you get the ball at the free throw line and you're trying to drive well. At that point, you're bringing the ball all the way down to some other defenders who are able to help dig in. And then when you're not hitting threes, it just kind of exacerbates the issue. So we talk, like we said, we talked after game one. Is one of the adjustments for the Bucks offense to look better just hitting three-pointers? And it really does seem like, I mean, <laughs> obviously that scores way more points, but it's just so clear how even just hitting a few of those or the threat of them opens up so many more opportunities. Giannis is able to get one-on-ones against switches. They're able to do a lot more off-ball cuts from the weak side when one guy dribbles in and they're, you know, they aren't able to help in with a ton of different people. And, and in this one, I mean, you see Bobby Portis contribute with 13 big points. Bryn Forbes contribute with 22 huge points. And, and really, I think that's been this, a, such a huge story of this series. And, and it, it, it played true today as well. The questions of whether Portis and Forbes would be able to play on the court, at least in the playoffs. And thus far, that certainly seems like they've been able to. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, th- this is my official mea culpa to Bobby, to Bryn. I was skeptical all season. I- I'm not going to make excuses. I just think last year when we saw Wes Matthews and Kyle Korver come in and we were like, all right, these are the guys we got. Let's ga- gas them up. I was scared of gassing guys up again and getting burned. They did not burn us this series. I think, Bobby, it's amazing. The tough shots he makes, it's like anybody, literally anybody else on the roster from Giannis down trying those shots would be like, don't do it. It, it, But every single time Bobby does, he was hitting threes from the corner. We kept feeding him. He's been still great from three. And Bryn Forbes as well. I I saw some people... I can't remember who it was, uh, tweeting. It was like, oh, what was the difference between Kyle Korver last year and Bryn this year? Okay, one, Kyle Korver is older than the earth itself. So he was... no disrespect, Kyle. He's not moving. The difference is Bryn, the off-ball movement, the speed that he runs down the court, and like the defense, the Miami's defense can't get set because like a guy or two guys have to rush after Bryn to be like, I can't just let him sit by himself in the corner over there. So that already it forces Miami to keep a not completely set defense face. Giannis just let him happen. Um, and then the off-ball movement, Bryn is moving through screens. He's weaving the entire time. And the fact that he's able to recognize when a pump fake or just get off the ball, move around again, get a better look. And he's obviously shooting unconscious from three. I think it was like seven to 14 from the floor. But it's just, it's amazing watching him move the speed, the confidence that he moves with on offense. And then even on defense, again, it's not that he's not giving a damn. He tries, and there was even, I think it was, I want to say it was in the third quarter. Jimmy tried to like drive on him or whatever, and he bodied him again, bodied him, and then got the block. It was amazing. So I think Brim Forbes is going to get paid so much money by somebody. Salute to him for that. Um, but both he and Bobby, and I, again, another credit to Boonholzer. Um, it, it sort of forces hand a little bit with the Dante injury, but he only goes with essentially an eight-man rotation PJ gets the nod, Bobby and Bryn, and a little bit of Jeff Teague. We didn't see a lot more Jeff Teague, probably the right decision on that point. But um, of the guys, the bench guys who are playing those three in particular, playing really well for all their different roles. And I think that's a big difference for last year. It's like, okay, George Hill, 
maybe. And everybody else is like, I have no clue, dude. I have no idea what we're doing out here. So that's the fact that you can have your starters come out and still be that good with those guys. Huge. It's huge. This is going to seem like a silly thing because it should be obvious, but it hasn't been obvious for Bucks fans the last couple of years. But we didn't see an eight-man rotation in the 2019 playoffs basically until, I think, game six of the Toronto series, right? <laughs> he fi- like Bud finally pared it down. It was like, okay, I guess I can't play 11 deep in this in this series where we could be going to the NBA Finals. Like Jeff T did get five minutes, but for all intents and purposes, today was an eight-man rotation. And the starters played 36, 37, uh, 36 minutes for Giannis, 37 for Chris, 38 for Drew. And I mean, this is in a game that they still won by 17 and Bud was not messing around at the end of the, at the end of the game. He was, he kept all of them in until they were up by, until there was maybe a minute left and he wanted to close this one out. Absolutely. So that's an adjustment that people have said is obviously makes sense and should be obvious in the past, but it happened and it's certainly paid dividends in this series. And it's big too that it happened in the first round. I think that's part of the difference of you're not the first seed. It's not like a total absolute cakewalk, cakewalk with the eighth seed. Um, I mean, no disrespect to Orlando last year. Do we play Orlando twice? Who do we play in 2019 in the first round? I can't Detroit. Remember. That was a oh, Detroit. terrible series. Those were awful series, total cakewalks. <laughs> and so Budenholzer in those cases isn't at all um, incentivized to adjust much or like, you know, tighten up his rotation in this series. I think good on him. I mean, it's, it's a, we sweat out game one and then he doesn't, the game gets like out of hand. I think even in game two and three, I'd have to look at the minute totals, but even when we were totally clowning them, it's not like, okay, well we got, you know, just start messing around and start throwing out even more dudes. He still kept the rotations pretty tight until the very end. Um, And I think, it's a, it's the simplest adjustment to make in basketball. As long as guys aren't in foul trouble, keep them out there. And in these games, this series in particular, he did that. So credit to you, Budenholzer, for doing that as well. Riley, do you know who – you have the box score, so you probably know. But do you know who led all scores today? Mm, I do have the box score up. So I would not have guessed Brooke Lopez, but uh, Brooke Lopez led everybody in scoring today. So Salute to Brooke Lopez, who shot zero three-pointers today. 11 of 15 from the field, 3 of 3 from the free throw line, 25 points. I did think in game three he got a little uh, up his own butt thinking he could take care of every single post disadvantage that he had, a mismatch mm-hmm. against the Heat. He seemed to really, really be trying to force it in there when there were a couple opportunities to dish it out to other players. But, I mean, this guy took it back, 11 of 15 from the field, no three-pointers. We've just so clearly seen him... In this series in particular, I, I think the offensive change is the most important one. Brooke has has been able to use the things that he's really good at. So the zone drop obviously worked really well in this series. It's going to work to differing levels of success in future series. The Heat are, the Heat are a particular team where the zone drop is really, really primed to work well against them. But the offensive change for him, I mean, 25 points for, for Brooke Lopez with no threes in the past two playoffs would have been essentially unthinkable. And mm-hmm. the Bucks have found way more ways to utilize him than in the past, especially last year when we said, well, why don't you just post up Brooke Lopez? I mean, they're, they're finding him in way more ways this year and it's paying dividends. Yeah. I remember in game three watching it and like, I don't remember it. Part of the issue is they just don't, Miami doesn't have much in the way of size. They have joined dead men, but like, I mean, Giannis kind of clowned up a little bit in the second half of this game. Um, obviously bam, but, the, but the issue is, Hard to play both Bam and Dwayne out there at the same time together. 
Um, and if that's going to be the case, I remember multiple times I was like in game three, the size that we had, it was like, man, Trevor Ariza, salute to you, man. But you're just smoke through you out there. It's like, Hey man, good luck. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, that's a tough assignment for him. So it's like credit to, uh, Brooke. And I think, again, it seems like it's a stylistic shift. He's not hanging around on the three-point line all that much. And part of that is to, he can drag the big guy in. It's like, okay, whoever's guarding Giannis, good luck to you. Now, again, the Heat and anybody's able to kind of like try and collapse in. And so it's dependent on Giannis being able to pass out. In this game, game four, he did that 15 assists. He triple-double, we should say, 20 points, 15 assists, 12 rebounds. Good game, Giannis. Um, But like... The fact that Brooke is able to go inside, and it's not like a traditional post up, but he's not doing the gets it from three and like dribbles in and like does like a slow motion dunk. It's a lot more purposeful. And I think it's so nice for Giannis to have a big guy, and he has pretty reliable hands for a big guy as well, to have a, a release valve right there near the basket where it's like, okay, I get past my defender. Bam, you have no, it's either you let me dunk uncontested or you trying to get in my face and then I'm just going to drop it off to Brooke. And I think that partnership, that fact that the dunker spot is getting fit, filled up by the tallest guy, the biggest guy, the most skilled guy um, down in the post on the team, big. Again, really big adjustment. I think that we'll see how effective that is against if we play the Nets or whoever in the future. But even against the Nets where it's like if they're going to play DeAndre Jordan a lot, same issue. The Somebody's going to have to defend both these big guys out there. It's going to have to be DeAndre Jordan. And hopefully the uh, partnership between Giannis and Brooke in this series continues heading forward. And we're able to kind of abuse that mismatch as well. Dunker spot was big this game. We saw PJ Tucker get two buckets out of it in the dunker spot, which we almost never see. He's almost always just parked over in the corner. And it's a great point about Brooke. Not, not only because it, you know, it's able to utilize him maybe in a way that's more sustainable when his three point shot isn't falling. I mean, tonight he, even when he had Jimmy Butler on him, I mean, if the guy is, even if the guy is almost the same height as him, he's more than interested in being able to shoot over him or get a decent post shot. And it usually winds up in pretty good efficiency. But the importance of Giannis being able to, Giannis kind of is what he is at this point. He's going to do a crazy drive. He's going to probably get beneath the basket if he doesn't get an mm-hmm. offensive foul. And he he did a great <laughs> job of finding people today on the three-point arc. But just just think about, the, the difficulty and difference in, in in passes where besides last playoffs where Brooke Lopez was parked in the corner, if, if, if Giannis goes down there and he's trying to find someone, he's able to find someone, you know, four feet away from him as he's underneath the hoop as opposed to, you know, 15, 20 mm-hmm. feet away from him when he would be trying yeah. to pass that to Brooke in the pass. And, and Brooke had a bunch of actually really good, really kind of crazy plays in this one where the ball is kind of bopping around and then he just happens to pick it up and yeah. he's able to, to lay it in. So, so major kudos to him. And I know this isn't quantifiable, but I do have to say, compared to last year's playoffs, it did feel like the Bucks have just done a much better job, maybe, of just getting to loose balls or 50 50 mm-hmm. balls. It, I know I, I don't have a good time. I think you could probably quantify it with some hustle stats, but it just felt like a much bigger advantage this se- this series than when it felt like last year Miami was getting almost every single one of those. I'm like trying to think of like who we all played in the Miami series last year. So I think part of it is. Uh, even when Dante went down, um, everybody that was out there, it feels like it's more purposeful trying to go for rebounds. So PJ Tucker, I mean, he had four off- offensive rebounds. A lot of those were like loose balls. Chris, he dove on the floor for a loose ball. Feels like a lot. There's a lot more give a shit from top to bottom on the roster, which is important in the game of basketball. Um, 
and, and part of that is like, so I think in the past two seasons and even in this season as well, Brooke isn't necessarily the rebound guy. Um, he's obviously the puts a body on somebody and like tries to clear out for everybody else to get the rebound. Um, part of it is still doing that, but again, part of it is uh, Bobby. He gives a damn about rebounds. He throws his whole body into it. Dante goes for rebounds. PJ goes for rebounds. Giannis goes for rebounds. So like top to bottom, it seems like there's, like you said, it would be like quantifiable stats, like hustle stats, but uh, it seems like there's more give a damn, which is helpful. It's pretty critical for like getting rebounds. If you're going to try and like fight the other dude for the rebounds, it helps. Yeah. And I mean, just talking about offensive rebounds, we know that clearly trying to get offensive rebounds was a, a slightly bigger emphasis for Milwaukee this season than last year. So they ranked uh, Perkley in the glass. 12th in terms of offensive rebound rate this year in past years they've been either bottom five or bottom 10 and i you know i know they put a bigger emphasis on it this year but i just didn't anticipate it being that big of a thing in this series i just didn't think it would matter all that much because it they've certainly been able to improve their amount of second chance points advantage this year but and miami was when you look 18th in terms of um, defensive rebound rate, so not you know bottom five in the league, but the Bucks obliterated them on the offensive boards. This entire series, it, it was absolutely crazy. Today, a 34% offensive rebound rate for the Bucks, just absolutely nuts. Second chance points, 23 to seven. It didn't feel like, and it certainly doesn't feel like the Heat are wanting for size down low. I mean, Jimmy Butler and and Bam and. and Theoretically, Deadman is a big dude. Like they should be able to get those rebounds, but it did feel like that was one of the biggest advantages for the Bucks. And when the three point shots weren't falling, especially in the first half for this game, the second chance points really helped buoy them and carry them over to the to the second half when their offense finally found some flow. Yeah, I uh, it just it was I don't know. It was just the difference between last year in the bubble and how tragic all that was versus this game. One gave me a little bit of flashbacks. It was like eh, it's going to be another rock fight. Just to see a total pantsing from top to bottom, what a joy! It's 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 way way more fun to talk about basketball this way than the other way. Yeah, I th- so we've talked a lot about Game Four. We we're not going to touch too much on the other games in this series. The Bucks absolutely blew them out, kind of destroyed them these last two games and embarrassed them. I, I mean, just generally, Riley, we, you talked about it at the top, but how sweet is it to? destroy Miami in this fashion after what they, after ever, like you said, everything we had to hear this whole past year. It's, it's one of the most gratifying. It's just like 2019 against Boston where we had like the, we still had to deal with Jason Kidd the year before, uh, or not Jason Kidd. It was, um, uh, Prunty. Prunty was coaching at that point. But anyways, that season was essentially lost. Uh, we lose that. And then we come back the next year and after game one, totally waxed the Celtics. This is even sweeter because everybody last year really piled on because the Bucks were trying to send a trend of like, ah, looks like they suck in the playoffs. Which fair enough. I can't, you know, it's <laughs> scoreboard wise, you were absolutely correct. And to be able to come back in this where, like you said, there will get lost in the shuffle of like everyone's really like, yeah. I knew Miami was awful from the second I saw them step on the court. Do not forget everybody talking about this. The league, the NBA is all about the narratives. And what was Miami's narrative? Dangerous playoff team. Yeah, they're not going to impress you in the regular season, but they get to the playoffs. You get Spo, Jimmy Butler. What a competitor that guy is. Love how competitive he is. (laughs) Jimmy Butler, I'm not saying he's a coward, but he showed some cowardly tendencies out there. 
and I, I think again, uh, Van, respect to Van, who was trying to rein me in throughout this because in the group DM, I was like, Jimmy's a fraud, Jimmy's a coward, Jimmy's a bum. I was going on and on and on. <laughs> I think he tried to rein me in and say, Jimmy's suffering from decision fatigue which is probably true because literally nobody else on their roster wanted to do a thing with the ball. So Jimmy, good for you for at least like trying, I guess, or being willing to, to dribble around. I thought there was so much in this series where, yes, the Bucks played really, really well. Um, schematically, they blew everything up. It, it felt like Miami was either scared of the moment or unwilling uh, anybody on the roster, except for Kendrick Nunn at the end of the third quarter, start of the fourth, who elected himself to be the like guy who was going to save the season. Nobody on the roster seemed happy or willing to step up and say, I'm going to be responsible. Maybe they're bad shots. We're not getting good shots right now. I'm going to be the one who tries to step up and take the shots. Jimmy Butler did not take the shots. There was a lot of driving. He couldn't get separation from Giannis. Another thing, Giannis, Great defense on Jimmy Butler the whole series, there, I, except for the fourth quarter of game one. <laughs> that was the <laughs> time where it was really not great defense. But the rest of it, he kept contact almost every single assignment. And Jimmy was not he was not willing to try and go up. He, he was like erratic with his passing. Um, there would be sec- like running down on the shot clock. It's like, Jimmy, you got to get a shot up or it's going to be a turnover. And he just like dribbles instead. So I was not impressed at all by the mentality of the Miami Heat. You come after last year and you get to bask in the glory of you did your little finals run. Oh, heat culture. Oh my God. They're the greatest. Once you get there, oh, watch out. And then they just drop the ball all four games. They were not competitive. Game one, they were competitive, but that was more so Milwaukee playing. I mean, we were awful. Awful in game one. Miami never got out of first gear, it felt like. They were awful in game one. They were awful in game two. They were awful in game three. They were okay in the first half. But again, it was a lot of Milwaukee just playing bad. Like the number of turnovers we had. And so the only thing that kept that team in it, the team, the darlings of the NBA, Twitterati, everybody loves talking about how great the Heat are. They couldn't compete. And the only thing that kept them in it from top down was Milwaukee's mistakes. And that is not the mark of a good franchise. I don't know what they're going to do. I think it's hilarious that they are going to be stuck in purgatory for a long time. Hopefully this series and coming years breaks the heat like curse, the like enchantment that they have on everybody. It's like you see the jersey and it's like, well, they're going to be competitive. Are they? Are they? They're going to be Milwaukee Bucks aughts level of like not competitive these next years. They might sneak in for an AC to seven seed every once in a while, but I don't know where they go from here. It just seems like there's too many limitations. They're already paying Bam and Jimmy of $60 billion every year. Where are they going to find the money to do anything? So I just embarrassing for them. I'm so glad it, we did this to this team. I was, I'm not going to lie. I was slightly nervous before the series is like, I really wouldn't want this to go again. How joyous that this ended up going this way. It's awesome. I love it. This is what basketball is all about. It's just clowning dudes. And we did that for four games. What a joy. (laughs) Jimmy Butler. Jimmy Butler, 19 of 64 in the series, 29.7. Bring up the stat stat for me, Adam. All right. Back to this game. I'm not even going to. Riley needs to keep going on this heater. All I'm going to say is Bryn Forbes for the series, 60 points. Jimmy Butler, 58 points. It's just, it's so funny, man. I love it. It's, uh, you know, 
Everybody knew what Jimmy's limitations are. He's an awful three-point shooter. I don't know how you can be. I mean, I can't. I saw Giannis miss all four of his threes today. So I know how you can be a primary ball handler and be bad from three. But the the amount of mess that that guy talks, and I know that's how he like psychs himself out. How tiresome must it be to be his teammate? And you get the ball, you work your ass off to be like, Jimmy, here's an open three. And he just like dribbles. I'm like, dribbles around. How upsetting that would be. And then... You're the the spiritual leader. It, uh, this is this is part of this is why they're such a good match. The Miami Heat and Jimmy Butler. They they're like the like competitive dudes. Uh, random eggs on Twitter who love like competitive guys. Ergo, like guys who are assholes to teammates and like other players. And it's like, oh well, he wins every once in a while, so that means he's cool. They're a perfect fit for each other. And to go out there, and it, part of it is Bryn Forbes show up. I'm not sure if I would say he's the series MVP. We could talk about that in a second. Um, comedy. Comedy for him to be that bad during the entire series. I know, Van. Van, I know you're listening. You want me to rein in a little bit. This is devastating, I think, short-term, maybe medium-term for Jimmy's, like, like perception around the league. What a bad series. And to go into, to say he's stupidly locked in and lose like that, man... That's the thing about talking big. You better back it up or it is going to be a rough six to seven months for you. And it's going to be a rough six months for Jimmy. Don't don't mistake that. It's going to be rough for him out there. And the other thing I'd like to note is that Bryn Forbes almost outscored every single Heat player in this series. Their top scorer was Goran Dragic with 64 and Bam Adebayo at 62. So uh, tough look for them. I mean, Brooke Lopez outscored Bam Adebayo, which is like... <laughs> I mean, that's all you need to know. And most of what Bam got done was basically in game four. Uh, other than that, he was essentially turned into a pumpkin by Brooke Lopez, which was... <laughs> yes, that's awesome. What a good what a good series. Brooke, Brooke looked good. Brooke looked game. Um, I, I think the... I want to give more of a shout out to Chris Middleton. It's been so easy all season long to... Um, because we know what Chris is, we know what he does, to... Um, kind of take for granted what his season was. He, he took a little bit of a step back. Part of that was integrating Drew. This series in particular, excellence. Everything that he needed to do, he did. He worked his ass off in defense. And it was going to be, if they were, if the Heat were going to get wide open threes, it was going to mostly be whoever his defensive assignment was. He worked his ass off to make sure they stopped getting open looks. Credit there. Offensively, so many tough looks. So, and on top of that, when an open three came to him, there wasn't any passing off. He took the three. He's like, he only went two of six today. Keep shooting, man. You're the best three-point shooter on the roster by a significant, maybe Bryn Forbes. But like overall, starting lineup, you're the best three-point shooter on the roster. Take the three if it's there. Please do it. He takes the ball. He attacks at the right moments. He sees, okay, I'm done messing around. Third quarter, goes at him, draws a couple of fouls. Game's over at that point. Um, he, he was just timely throughout the series. He was efficient. He played good defense, good facilitating, all sorts of, I just think it, to me, he's probably the MVP of the series. He stepped up big when we needed it game one. And in game four, he stopped the bleeding and turned around. So shout out to you, Chris. Uh, we, we haven't gassed you up nearly as much this season. You deserve it this series for sure. Drew holiday. Obviously. I don't even think we've talked about him really yet. We, we need to talk about Drew holiday. Interestingly, I was just looking at the stats here. I wasn't that surprised by this, but only three of 15 from three in the series, 20%, kind of matches the eye test. I'm actually very curious to see if his three-pointer tracks into the playoffs because he's usually been about a 35% guy, uh-huh. kind of like actually kind of like an Eric Bledsoe level kind of shooter. But, <laughs> but, but 
Yeah. I mean, just some huge steals today. Obviously, the huge steal in game one or the huge rebound in game one to push late in transition. But some huge steals today, absolutely locking guys up in putting them in hell defensively. He starts out the second half on Butler because Giannis has three personal fouls. So Bud is worried about that. I mean, the change is obvious. All Bucks fans know what the change looked like. But Drew Holiday... Clearly a more confident player, willing to be able to pull up for a jump shot, take a guy off the dribble. The impact that he had on this one on both ends was just absolutely massive in terms of keeping the heat uh, from getting into any sort of rhythm offensively and then also punishing them for, um, you know, not putting a defender on him who, who, who will be able to stop him from driving to the rim. Some great playmaking too. I think there was so much of last year. Eric is like an okay playmaker, but he's a on the move, barreling into a guy. And then when he gets like that last gasp and passes, very Giannis like gets that last gasp and then passes out. Um, a lot more in the flow of the offense, in control. What have we talked about all season? Drew is in control. Nothing ever feels forced with that guy on offense, especially on defense. Like you said, gets the Jimmy Butler assignment. Fourth quarter, um, I think Goran Dragic, I promised myself I was going to say his name because I can't say it. Um, he gets the assignment into the fourth to like, okay, it, and just how tiresome it looks like to play against him. You could be 35, 36 feet away from the basket, and he is right on top of you, and you are not getting an easy pass around him. Um, there are a couple of times where if it's in transition, you can maybe like outrun him to a spot, but then you're like moving at 100 miles an hour to try and get free of him for even a second to get a shot up. Um, and again, at the end of game one, he has the absolute gonads to go up and try and block that last second shot. And he actually does. It could, I mean, easily could have been a foul the way the whistles were going. Um, I, I just love the mentality. Sure. It wasn't like necessarily the scoring output, but even again, it feels like game one and game four, obviously, because they were a little bit closer. That's what the ones we're going to talk about the most, um, game four or in the third, sorry. Game one in the third quarter, too many numbers around. Um, both he and Chris combined to like, he went on a mini run in the third quarter of game one that again, stopped the bleeding, gave the Bucks enough breathing room to catch back up. And then it was off to the races from there. Um, I, I just, we'll see how it plays going forward into the next series, whoever we're playing. But the fact that almost any size def- guy you want him to defend, he's more than capable of doing. We hear all the time about, uh, you know, other players gassing him up. We're seeing it now with the rest of the defense coalescing around him. Um, he's just an excellent player. It's been a lot of fun to watch him make other guys' lives hell. And, and shout out to PJ Tucker too, in a very similar vein. You and I, after game one, were like, oh, PJ was like, okay on Jimmy. I thought he was also excellent in the minutes to give Drew a couple of minutes of rest. Um, PJ went out there and if he got switched on or if he was uh, Jimmy's primary defender, he did not follow all that much. He had a couple of like bad follows in the first half, but he was pretty much on top of things, never gave up a lot of space or a lot of size to Jimmy. So shout out to you, PJ, as well, in a very similar vein there. Yeah, and I, uh, this is crazy to me. More offensive rebounds than defensive rebounds for PJ Tucker this series. Mm-hmm. Nine, nine <laughs> offensive compared to seven defense. And he had some... He had eight today, so he had half of his rebounds for the whole series today, but some really big ones. I mean, it, like we said, the offensive boards were huge. Let's let's talk a little bit about Giannis. Interesting series for him. I think the thing that's going to get – I think for myself, it's really easy for me to focus on the fact that 
I didn't think he really ever looked like himself. I didn't think he had a whole lot of rhythm going to the basket. He, he shoots 45% overall, 6.3% from three. I mean, I, the three the three pointers today in game four were, were just absolutely atrocious. I mean, literally, as he's walking up, I, I'm watching the game with a friend. We're just both like, no, no, please don't do it. You can see the like, gears moving in his head. Is like, Giannis, please let the gears lock in the right way that you don't take this three-pointer with 22 seconds on the shot clock. Please don't do it. But uh, obviously he has 15 assists today, does a great job as a distributor, by far his best game in terms of in terms of distributing and playmaking it for his teammates. But I do think, obviously we all know what he can do as a help defender, and I don't think it's I, I don't want to be as you know myopic and short sighted as being like, well, they put him on Jimmy, and that you know he's clearly had a way bigger defensive impact than any other series. But Let him guard Kyrie next series. Yeah, Let's yeah. guard Kyrie. <laughs> Jimmy is very well suited for Giannis to guard him, given he can go under all the screens and do all that kind of stuff. But I mean, defensively, you saw in Game Four, it, Dragic was trying to drive late in the game. Giannis just like stood up. Ex- put his hands all the way up to extend to his full wingspan and Dragas just got really scared, tried to pass the ball out to someone on the perimeter and just pass it directly out of bounds. Like <laughs> the thing about Giannis guarding Jimmy, this series has been so clearly it got in Jimmy's head. It's probably getting in Bam's head too. I mean, this is what was destroying the Bucks last year was Jimmy playing like an absolute all-star and he was great throughout the whole playoffs and all that kind of stuff. But Bam was playing really, really well too. And the only time that those two had their pick and roll going, any sort of semblance of flow between them was the basically the second quarter of this game. Other than that, both of them were completely taken out of the rhythm, completely mm-hmm. taken out of their game. And I think that's a huge, huge credit to Giannis, who will not have great offensive numbers for this series, but his defensive impact, working with Brooke Lopez, I think it cannot be discounted how massive that was against the the heat front line it, it, and just a huge credit to him for i have to imagine that he went up to bud and was like i'm guarding jimmy because mm-hmm. i don't think bud would have done that himself so a huge credit to Giannis for for taking that on and, and clearly winning that matchup easily he allowed the because we've seen throughout the season where it's like is the zone drop as effective as it has been in the past and the way that he was defending it brought it right back to life. The partnership between him and Brooke Lopez, the passing off of, even if Giannis wasn't able to fully get, like, to maintain contact and get right in front of Butler on a pick and roll, he just switched back off. He said, you know, Brooke stepped up. I don't remember. There was a couple of, like, easier looks for Jimmy, but they were few and far between. There was very rarely did he get, even on, like, mid-range, on the baseline, whatever. It was not a lot of easy looks for him. And the same for Bam Adebayo. So I think you were absolutely right that Giannis with his length, and it helps that it's like, Giannis, you don't really have to like fight through the screen all that much. Just go underneath the screen. You'll be, you're going to be okay. We're going to live with that. I think that makes his life so much easier. I'm not sure. It totally depends on the opponent, assuming the Brooklyn Nets. Curious how we're going to use him in the next series, uh, because that's not going to necessarily work the same way. But to face down this demon, uh, this personal demon that were the Miami Heat, take their star on, the guy who talks a lot of big game versus Giannis, who does not talk that much of a big game, given how good he is, um, and, and to bring the zone drop right back to life. You're right that the personnel for the Heat make it easier to make that happen, 
but there were questions and it could easily like like you said in the second quarter they kind of locked in for a second but otherwise they kept them totally off their rhythm throughout the entire series so credit to you Giannis and again Brooke good job Brooke looking at the ESPN predictions for this series 13 guessed the heat I sorry 13 guessed the bucks five guessed the heat the best anyone predicted in terms of the bucks was bucks and six and I like I said I had bucks and seven you had bucks and five, so you you had you had you were much closer to the actual predictions. And kudos <laughs> yeah. to you. And I, I'm not a huge guy who's like, oh, we got to tweet at all these guys for getting their predictions wrong. That's actually, please don't do that. That would be terrible. Mm-hmm. Like they're just mm-hmm. freaking guessing. That's all they're doing. You um, can cl- please clown on all the Heat fans. If you yes. see a Heat fan, get them. Don't don't stop. Go get them right away. No worries. But I mean, I, I don't think very. Fi- I think very few people would have seen this result coming. A sweep, but. It's not so much the sweep as much as the result and like the the manner in which it happened. The the Bucks completely dominating the Heat in in both facets of the game, and I think it started with the defense. I, I think we're going to talk about the offense as, as playing really well, but I think it all started with the defense, which was an ungodly level for this entire series. I'm trying to pull up the the, the defensive rating for this one um, was 103.6, which would have been one of the best in the league. I, I mean, one of the games the defensive rating was like 93 which is, yeah. you know, 90s era basketball, the worst team scoring at that level. It, just an incredible defensive performance from them. I mean, what was, what, what do you think was most surprising to you about how this series played out? I would probably say Giannis struggling offensively was not a surprise because uh, he did the exact same thing against a lot of the personnel last year. So that was not necessarily a surprise. And we know that his scoring in the playoffs is becomes a lot more difficult. Um I guess the biggest thing that surprised me was not that I didn't think we were an intense team, but there was so much over the past two seasons of not coasting, but we got the first seed, maybe got a little soft, a little comfortable. And then when things got tough, it was like, oh, I don't really want to like fight that guy for the rebound. (laughs) You sure you want me to do that? Whereas this year, um, especially I thought game three, what a joy that game was. The intensity they showed on defense. I think Miami had like, 60 points 60 some points through three quarters or whatever i mean it was stifling and a lot of that was schematic but a lot more of it was again just trying really hard Bryn forbes chasing after whoever staying totally in contact with them the amount of times this is what inspired me to compare bam to john lure was the (laughs) fact that bam just he was just pivoting a lot he was at the elbow and he was, he could see how wide open his eyes were. He's like, there's literally nobody for me to give the ball to. And they would just burn nine seconds running around. And Milwaukee would just not let anybody get away from them whatsoever. So I think the seriousness, the intensity, the bubble last year was a disaster. And even against the Orlando matches, like, you know, there was a lot of different circumstances with the, uh, with the strike, uh, with the pandemic, all that sort of stuff. There was an open question of like how intense, how uh, locked in can this team be? I think it's super helpful that it was the Heat because we took them seriously right away. It was there was no they were on a mission to like we're going to show this team and we're going to show the rest of the league that we are locked in and we will suffocate you. And they did that. And I think that's the thing that surprised me most from this series was like they didn't give them even a chance. The only time they gave them a chance was when we turned it over a bunch um, and kind of kept a minute. But otherwise, it was wire to wire victory for them super impressive and like i said at the at the top you're going to probably hear some people say well where are the heat going to go from here clearly they have huge issues that they need to solve that's something that's written in the aftermath of of a loss you there were a lot of people thinking that the heat were going to give the bucks a lot of trouble myself included 
And I think the the Heat are actually like a fairly good team. They were really good down the stretch. The Bucks completely dictated the course of the series. I, I questioned whether they would be able to do that given what they looked like at the end of the year, but very clearly they completely ran what this series was going to look like. And from top to bottom, just a, just a really incredible performance. And what a huge moment, I think, for the, the franchise as a whole. I mean, John Horst has to be beaming right now. Mm-hmm. Huge, huge year for him. Obviously, it's just the first round. There's so, so, so much more to do. They're going to still going to have huge question marks. It does, kind of feel like we, it does kind of feel like we won the title, though. I'm like, we <laughs> <laughs> won the title. We got a long way to go then still. Huge way to go. But, I mean, you, you re-sign Giannis. You, you make this big trade for Drew, which everyone yeah. says, all right, well, it's a big upgrade, but that's a lot of stuff to give up. Yeah. You completely botched the Bogdanovich thing, which is awful. <laughs> You end up giving Pat Connaughton more money than because you because you totally screwed up cap stuff, which you probably mm-hmm. played over up to the contract or whatever. But then to to have your additions come through like this, and to be able to sweep the team that essentially forced you to rethink everything that you had planned around your your big three last year. I mean, he must hopefully he enjoyed a little bit of, of victory for this before moving on to thinking about the next round. Yeah, I I would not go out and you know, like be so crazy to say that John Horst should win Executive of the Year, but I'm try I'm struggling to think of a move that he didn't either absolutely nail or quickly move off of to get the team back in better position. So Bryn Forbes, excellent signing. Bobby Portis, excellent signing. Tory Craig, you know, it was a minimum. I'm not, I'm going to give him a bit of a pass there. It's, that wasn't great. The Drew Holiday trade, great. PJ Tucker, you move off of DJ Augustine. You get finally oh. get rid of DJ. You get PJ in. Um, that's another hit. So I think just from t- and like you said, the the Giannis signing, you got Drew to extend top to bottom. He almost threw a perfect game. So shout out to you, John Horse. I didn't think he had it in him. I thought his back was against the wall. It was going to be tough to do much more to upgrade this team. He did it. He did it. We have a deeper bench now. We have a much better starting point guard. Um, and we, the most importantly, we have the superstar locked up and locked in for the next five years at a minimum. So good on you, John Horace. I, I think it's appropriate to give him a shout out. Anything else you want to say about this heat series before we briefly talk about, uh, replacing Dante DiVincenzo and, and what's on the horizon? Um, yeah, Miami can eat it. I'm done talking about Miami. That's, this is like Boston. Anytime somebody's like, Oh, Boston gives us our time. I no longer regard them as a real team. We beat them. It's game over for them. Uh, following on from that vulgarity, uh, Jim Paschke, uh, thanks for all the years. Uh, it was, you know, I came into Bucks fandom very late. This is like the back end of the Bogut years. Um, and yet I, you could recognize pretty early, no matter when you started listening, that Jim uh, was a very good announcer. I thought the chemistry that he was able to build with all the color analysts that he worked with um, how supportive he was of um, the others on the staff, whether it be Zora, um, whether it be Katie a couple of years ago. Uh, I, I just thought, um, really good guy. Thanks for all the years of service. And I'm glad that he went out or was able to call the game. Because um, I'm in Minnesota, I couldn't watch the local broadcast. But Van said that he just signed off saying, you know, enjoy the rest of the playoffs. He didn't really make it about him or, you know, note that it was going to be his final broadcast. So shout out to you, Jim. Um, have a happy retirement. We're going to go win this title for you or something hopefully fingers crossed thank you for bringing that up yeah I, I also am in the same boat where i can't watch the local broadcast given i'm not in anywhere near the market so shout out to jim paschke i'm really going to miss him i think he's had an, an incredible rapport with marcus johnson o- over mm-hmm. this entire yeah. season some in- incredible exchanges between those two that only comes from working with someone for a little while and 
I'm really going to miss Pashke on the broadcast. Very interested to see who's going to step into his shoes. It's going to be large, large shoes to step into. Mm-hmm. So thank you for everything you've done, Jim. Hopefully the Bucks are able to, to take it the distance for you. Uh, we're going to take a real quick break. And then on the other side of this, we'll talk briefly about the potential second round matchup. And uh, of course, how are we going to replace Dante DiVincenzo? <laughs> All right, stay tuned. All right, we're back. All right, Riley. Let's talk about the second round. Let's talk about replacing Dante DiVincenzo real briefly. Okay, so Dante DiVincenzo. Please respect to the king, please. Respect. Dante is out with a left tendon injury. His foot fell off his body, and um, he is now trying to recover from that. He is out for the remainder of the playoffs. Pat Connaughton gets the first call as a starter in game four. Look, I get the rationale behind Bud doing it. He's like the closest facsimile of, of Dante that you can probably find. Yeah. How what sort of approach are you thinking the Bucks might be able to take in the future slash how can are you, how concerned are you about losing Dante? Um, so again, I, I love the best thing about the podcast is bringing up chats that nobody else is able to like check the receipts on anybody who saw me in the immediate aftermath in the group DM chat about, uh, the Dante injury. Dante's fine. I'm not like a huge Dante fan. So I, I think, Yes, it will be a downgrade, but I'm not sure if it's going to be like a fall off the cliff sort of downgrade. Um, I think it's a shame for him to have his rookie season cut short for the fourth time. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Did we have any idea about the like timeline for how long? I'm assuming it's going to be a while for like injury recovery, right? Yeah, I don't know. What, Mint in the know. foot, that seems excessive. Yeah, that seems, it seems bad. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. It seems bad. And, and given he was like, for whatever bursitis thing he had and in the when like when he was in quarantine and he said he had to work on his foot every day, I, mm-hmm. I don't know what sort of state his foot is in. So, yeah, no, I, I think um, it does push us in a bit of a tough position because it just lessens our depth, lessens our depth. I don't have, feel all that strongly the Pat versus Bryn who gets the starting nod. I think, um, like you said, Pat is the closest facsimile. So if um, Boonhoser feels like the way that Dante plays is the most helpful, great. Um, and I think even if you start Pats, if he's not playing well, you just, you can do the switcheroo with Bryn pretty quickly. He did that in this game. Pat was like, he's just missing three. So it was like, okay, Bryn, you get out there and Bryn started making threes and we're off to the races. Um, I don't know. I don't really know how big of a drop it'll be. I, I think there was in game one, I was like a couple of times where Dante tried to dribble and it did not go well. So it's like, okay, he can't dribble. He... Clearly is the fifth. Well, he well in in like a playoff situation, I'm not going to be like we should have Dante be dribbling around. He should not be. Right. Um, I think the issue, the biggest thing is because he's the fifth starter. Even if he's shooting okay from three, he's not going to get a lot of looks anyhow. You want it to go to the other guys because they're more accomplished offensively. And the best thing about Dante is he cuts off ball. But what does Dante not do well? He doesn't finish layups all that well. And so it's like okay. Uh, are we getting much of a plus there? And then on top of all that, I don't want to like totally bury Dante. That's not what this is about. But he's also, there's a lot of the overhelping, the riskiness, all that sort of thing. That exposes you in a way that um, I'm not sure would be to our benefit. Yes, if he gets a couple of steals, it's great. It's like a momentum shift, all those sorts of things. I'm just not sure if our defense is in a place where you can afford a guy who that regularly makes mistakes or gambles that often. Um, and if he was going to change how often he gambled, he would have done it by now. So I think that's just that's a uh, that's a feature, not a bug to his game. Um, so we'll see. I don't know. I, I'm like mixed on how worried I am about it. 
It's interesting. Uh, he is definitely an off-ball gambler. I, I do think he's a much, maybe not much better, but he's a better on-ball defender than yeah. Pat or Bryn. And so clearly he's, you know, these other two players are going to get targeted. I mean, we saw Goran Dragic be able to go by Pat Connaughton when he wanted. We've seen Pat Connaughton have to have face up some difficult switching assignments in the past. I don't know why Budiman puts him in those situations occasionally, but whatever. Pat Pat tries his best. I do think offensively he could probably be somewhat similar. You know, before the season, one of the things I kind of liked about Dante was, okay, if the other team is locking up uh, Holiday and Giannis and Chris, well, I guess you need someone to be able to do just like, just have a little bit of juice offensively. But I don't see that as a super realistic scenario to be lock up all lock up all three of those players. I was gonna, entirely. Say, I was gonna say, if we're in a situation where Drew, Chris, and Giannis are all locked up, we're boned and the series is over anyhow. So well, Dante I, B <laughs> I I think the emergence of Brooke being able to be like, okay, he can score yeah, occasionally yeah. in those <laughs> scenarios. Out. Yeah. I, I moving forward just a little, I think it'll matter defensively against the Nets for sure, offensively. I don't think it would matter as much against Philly if if they were to somehow face Philly. Philly, I actually think is a team that could really put some screws on on like Giannis and Chris and Drew quite a bit, where it might help yeah. a little bit there. But I do think Pat Connaughton can do some of the. I actually think he's quite a good he's quite a good cutter, and I think he is a decent distributor out of those cuts, which is actually where I think Dante was by far the thing that was. I liked the most about his passing ability. I hated when he would drive the ball himself and try to pass, but when he was cutting and someone passed it to him, I do think he had pretty good floor vision of being able to try and find someone out of that particular cut. So yeah. I think they'll miss him for that. Let's, 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 oh, go ahead. The, the other thing is um, you're getting, we're very late into the season and you have the guy who was the consistent fifth starter throughout the season working with the four other guys. So now you have to try and integrate sort of on the fly, like, okay, Pat, you're going to be the guy out there, even if you don't ask a lot of a guy to try and get used to playing with those four other starters, like, you know, regular-ish minutes, if past the guy or whoever it is, there is a drop-off there as well, and just simply familiarity. So there is a loss there as well. Yeah, you lose a lot of continuity, less margin for error, all of that kind of stuff. Let's talk about the second round. It seems like it'll probably be the Brooklyn Nets. I'd be incredibly surprised if somehow the Boston Celtics beat them. But So let's talk a little bit about what the Nets might bring the Bucks. Haven't been able to see, we faced them three times this year, two and one, but never with all three of their players. Mm-hmm. I've been trying to catch some of their playoff games to see what they kind of look like. It seems like a lot of once again, hey, my turn, hey, your turn, hey, your turn, with one of the big three potentially being marginalized just a little bit since they can't catch up. Um, one of the things I was thinking about was I was curious if Bud would ever potentially put Tucker into the starting lineup um, against the Nets and maybe have Middleton chase around Joe Harris potentially, given what he was doing against Robinson. Do mm-hmm. Tucker on Harden, Drew on Chris, Giannis on Durant. Um, but I'm interested in your thoughts about how those defensive matchups might go. Um, like, like who do you think you would want Giannis on ideally? I'd probably want him. I would definitely prefer him on KD because KD, he's a he's a tough shot maker, obviously a low to defend. But James Harden, the whistle that he gets and the tricks that he has to draw fouls, I could see that going south very quickly. And I'm not sure if the way that I so the way that I think about it, now that I think about it a little bit more, 
you might be interested in starting Bryn because I've seen a lot this season in this heat series, especially about his ability to at least just keep contact. That was my other concern a little bit with Dante where it's like, Dante's probably not going to be getting the call against Kyrie. I hope <laughs> if that, if he was still healthy, I'm not sure if that would have been the call. So it's like, okay, Dante, you just, you chase after Joe Harris and he's not necessarily like a great pick navigator um, or like it's because he gambles or overhelps or whatever. Um, in this case, Bryn, again, he's not an excellent defender. He doesn't have the size, but he at least keeps in front of guys. And Joe Harris is not going to be a doing a lot of anything other than the perimeter and running around the perimeter. Um, in terms of matchups, probably Drew on Kyrie, if he's willing to. Maybe Bryn, if you start Bryn against Joe Harris, just to keep contact. Chris, Harden. Giannis, KD, and then if Brooklyn starts um, DeAndre, then Brooke. I don't know. Did, have they started DeAndre Jordan during so the lately, series against Boston? Lately, they've do, been doing Blake, which I don't think would change probably how how you would obviously how you would match up anyway. Yeah, no. If it was if it was Blake, then you might shift it a little bit to do the PJ Tucker. So we'll just kind of have to see how they end up starting it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm not. There's just three like really op- great offensive players. Uh, there's, <laughs> I would not want Giannis on James Harden because I think that would just go south. It's, just, it's that's not the lineup. Um, but I think Giannis showed enough in this series, and I think he's he's not going to like get called for a ton of fouls against KD just the way that KD plays. So that's how I would address that, I guess. I'm just fascinated to see how they try and attack them defensively because whatever they were wh- what they were doing in this series clearly won't work in the same fashion uh, yeah. using the using the zone drop brook will have to come yeah. up significantly higher we'll probably yeah. hopefully we'll that's the one thing is we didn't see much of Giannis and tucker in terms of a small ball lineup that they might need to employ against the nets we didn't really see that against the heat so i have to imagine we'll see that against the nets and i'll be very curious to see how that goes but it, it i mean we, we definitely won't see this but that could be that could be one of those Okay, if the Bucks somehow are down three zero in the series or something, like maybe they go to that starting line, like maybe they go to that as their starting lineup or whatever. So I'm going to be very curious to see how quickly Bud would go to that because he has been very hesitant to get Brook off the floor, and I don't blame him. Brook's been playing really well, but I'd be mm-hmm. very curious to see if it seems like they're just absolutely punishing them uh, in terms of, of utilizing a little bit of zone drop if they're able to, if they switch it up and have go to those small ball lineups. Yeah. I feel like, um, the beauty of it, we talk all the time, like, uh, Mar <laughs> Marvin Williams is the best, the best you could get from a buyout guy. feels like Boonholzer probably has a little bit more faith and PJ has a little bit more in the tank. I, I don't think PJ is going to tweet out his retirement in the third <laughs> quarter of, <laughs> of game four or whatever. Um, so I feel like I think I'm looking here. So PJ played 23 minutes in the game on May 2nd, and then he played uh, da, 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 20 minutes on this game after that. Um, Brook Lopez played 24 minutes, and he played 25 minutes. So it's pretty even split. I feel like in a situation like this, we're already seeing a tighter rotation. Um, I wouldn't be too worried. It feels like so far we have a lot of history to question Boonholzer on, but through the first series, it seems like he's been pretty quick on um, getting PJ out there, trusting him with a lot of minutes. Uh, and I think that'll help out where he, he seems to have a lot more trust um, in what PJ is able to bring. So I wouldn't worry too much about like waiting till being down three Oh, um, we'll just have to see. Maybe, maybe it would, that would be a shame. We get down three Oh, and that's when we get the change. I hope if we go down two Oh, then maybe we get the change. We'll see. 
going to be an interesting time. We certainly have plenty of time to hopefully preview whatever the second round is going to be, given that the Bucks uh, absolutely embarrassed the Heat 4-0 in a, in a delightful sweep of them. Milwaukee wins today, 120 to 103, complete the series sweep. The Heat go home for a, for an offseason. I'm so sorry they're going to have to face a troubling offseason and figure out what to do. That's just going to be so difficult for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, but meanwhile, we get to revel in it a little longer. Yep. Strength to the Miami Heat fans. It was uh, your despicable people, and I hope I never hear from you again. Well, and on that note, go to brewhoop.com for all of our continuing coverage of uh, of the Bucks playoff run. Uh, follow us on Twitter, uh, subscribe and like the podcast, and we will talk to you again soon.